0: Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts. This is Reset. I'm Susie On. The coronavirus pandemic only seems to be getting worse as we get closer to winter. On Wednesday, CDC Director Robert Redfield said he expects December, January, and February to be, quote, the most difficult time in the public health history of this nation. So far this week, the numbers seem to match his sentiment. The U.S. reported more than 2,800 deaths from COVID-19 yesterday and the day before. That's close to the number of Americans who lost their lives on 9-11, but it's happening every day. There's positive news, too. Vaccines are closer than ever. Chicago is expecting local health care workers and other at-risk individuals to receive doses in the next couple of weeks. Here with the latest on the pandemic is Dr. Mia Terramina. She is an infectious disease specialist with the DuPage Medical Group. Dr. Teramina, welcome back to Reset. Hey, Susie. First, what's your reaction to that statement from CDC Director Redfield and, and how many cases and deaths we're seeing on a daily basis this
1: week? Yeah, it's, it's truly, uh, impressive statistics and, and sad and heartbreaking. You know, a- along the way here, we've had some naysayers, uh, liken the coronavirus to the flu. And just to put things into perspective, we had a day this week in the United States where we lost more people in a single day than we have in the last five years of influenza in the U.S. combined. So this is not the flu. Uh, and make no mistake, we have a very serious virus and we have uh, some Hope on the horizon, but we are indeed in the thick of a surge that is going to be lasting, I am in agreement, until January, February. Well, yeah, you,
0: you mentioned that, that bit of hope. The UK just authorized the Pfizer vaccine and is planning to start distributing it next week. When do you think we'll see the same announcement
1: here in the U.S.? We're close behind. The FDA is meeting uh, on the 10th, and uh, we should be able to get some distribution shortly thereafter, presuming that emergency use authorization is granted. Uh, The Moderna vaccine is right on its coattails, and I think their meeting is scheduled either the 17th or perhaps the 20th, but very uh, soon afterward, uh, they're going to be meeting to apply for emergency use authorization as well, and hopefully we will be looking at the possibility of two uh, vaccines being distributed at least to our frontline. Workers by the end of the year,
0: right? And, and uh, the CDC made its recommendations for who should get vaccinated first. That's that's pretty much in line with what um, the Chicago Department of Public Health also planned out, which would be healthcare workers and and people in congregate living environments who would be the first to get the vaccination. Will this significantly slow down the spread, or, or should we not expect any major changes until everyone can take the vaccine?
1: I think that every single person that we are able to vaccinate, even starting with the most vulnerable and with our frontline workers, is going to have some trickle-down effect. Uh, we become less likely to be holding on to this virus and spreading it in the communities as we uh, go out and about for necessary activities as well. You know, when we talk about nursing home uh, patients and, and our most vulnerable, vaccinating a large population like that is going to decrease these outbreaks and decrease the potential lateral spread to uh, nursing. And home workers and facility workers. And we are going to start to see this, which is why uh, once we get to the point of being able to vaccinate the rest of our healthy adult population, we will be able to protect our kids who are not yet going to be approved for vaccine for some time. So we, we need to continue to move towards that, that essential herd immunity concept by vaccinating as many people as possible and, and diluting the uh, ability to infect other people based on how many people we can
0: vaccinate. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we've got a question from uh, Patricia in Glenview. Patricia, what's on your mind? I'm just wondering about whether it, once the
2: vaccine is available, if people who already have the antibodies, in other words, may have, been, have had the virus and become asymptomatic, is there a problem if they then get the vaccine? In other words, can you get an antibody overdose or, or, um, or do you test for antibodies before you would give the vaccine?
1: Dr. Taramina? That's a great question, Patricia, and there's a lot more data to come on that. The current recommendation, I believe, and we will again have to wait for the official recommendations, is going to be that everyone who's had coronavirus and does have antibodies does indeed receive vaccine as well. Um, We do not see any issues with, quote unquote, overdosing on antibodies. That's not going to be something that happens with the way these vaccines work. However, um, we don't know what the reliability is with natural immunity and how long those natural antibodies are protective. And we do know that what we are able to generate in terms of neutralizing antibodies with these vaccines should be more durable for a longer period of time. In addition to being able to check antibodies, we're eventually going to need a greater capacity to check antibody titers. And it's going to take some time to sort of see what is that level that is going to be necessary to maintain in order to render protection or at least some protection. And then we'll be able to figure out when booster doses may be. Necessary.
0: Good question. Yeah, I've heard uh, a bit about side effects as well with with mm-hmm. the vaccine. Um, for folks who could be vaccinated soon, what what might they expect in terms of side effects?
1: So the challenge here is going to be that, yes, uh, the vaccine could cause some uncomfortable side effects. Uh, The statistics that have been released by the Pfizer vaccine are less than 5% with body aches, sort of flu-like symptoms, maybe some headache. And in that, we're looking at about 24 hours of feeling uncomfortable. And that's just going to be in some individuals. Because this is a two-dose vaccine, what we really want to avoid is someone having some uncomfortable side effects for a day, not wanting that second dose. That isn't going to achieve the end goal here. So, you know, to the extent that we can use some rest, Tylenol, hydration, and get over the hump of some mild side effects, this is not going to be a vaccine that is too much unlike all the other vaccines that are on the market in their potential to cause a day of uh, some discomfort.
0: Now, uh, some Americans out there are opposed to just vaccines in general. They worry about um, taking a vaccine. What do you say to those folks who may find vaccines dubious?
1: You know, it's it's such a challenge. Um, fortunately, the enthusiasm I am seeing for this Corona vaccine, uh, coronavirus vaccine, has been tremendous. So I'm hoping that we have a significant portion of the population that is ready and willing. The first two vaccines coming to market use a slightly different technology than vaccines we've had previously, and some of the concerns over the safety of vaccines have historically come from uh, live vaccines or uh, modified attenuated vaccines. And getting down to using a vaccine that's really at the level of the the molecular level, the RNA, um, is going to really minimize the side effects and the potential concerns that people have from some of these vaccines. I believe that this is some of the safest technology and vaccines that's ever come to market. This is something that was uh, being worked on even prior to coronavirus, and it's extremely exciting to have such an efficacious vaccine with a tremendous safety uh, profile being released at this point, you know, so soon on in in the pandemic. I'm very excited to receive it myself.
0: That's Dr. Mia Terramina. She's an infectious disease specialist with the DuPage Medical Group, and she's answering your questions about how to stay safe with COVID-19 during this pandemic. We've got Nancy in Edgewater with a question. Nancy? My question is, let's say I get both uh,
2: shots the, of the vaccine, and I'm safe, but can I still be a carrier? Can I travel?
1: And, uh, am I a, can I infect other people? Yeah, Nancy, exactly as as we were saying, it, there should be much less of a chance uh, for someone who is fully vaccinated to be able to, to carry live mm-hmm. virus. It's not impossible, though, because everyone is going to boost an immune response that's slightly different, and we don't have enough information just yet to know exactly how much immunity you have and how likely you are going to be to still be able to hold on to any active virus. So that's why until we have enough of this population vaccinated so we know that the folks that you're in close proximity to have also received vaccine and it again makes it much less likely for transmission to occur and we can truly definitively break this cycle we are still going to be wearing our masks and washing our hands and keeping that social distancing even after we are vaccinated so there is certainly going to be some level of reassurance but no hundred percent guarantees.
0: Thanks so much, Nancy. And we're going to go now to Nikki in Irving Park. Nikki, you have a question for the doctor? Yes. Hi, Dr. Taramina.
2: Um, So now that we're past Thanksgiving and we saw how testing was sort of overwhelmed and now that the CDC has shortened the quarantine guidelines, do you think that there are safe ways for families to gather for the winter holidays?
1: Sure. So my preference is, is still going to be to adhere to the recommendations that we don't travel um, and we don't gather in large groups. I think that to the extent you're able to uh, reimagine any holiday gatherings for the remainder of the year uh, through um, e- using Zoom or FaceTime or, or other modalities is going to be preferred. But the CDC is now recommending testing both before and after any travel um, out of an abundance of caution. This is not something that is going to be a free pass but to the extent that we are trying to be as safe as possible getting a test around 72 hours before travel and then getting tested around five to seven days after return is going to be something that uh, is advisable by the CDC if you choose to uh, travel especially out of state or on airplanes and things like that. When gathering in large groups um, that would not be recommended and it's going to be that same type of mitigation where if you're in a household with more than uh, six people and more than and people from uh, just two separate households in one space. You should be wearing masks except for when eating, and you should really try and space out that eating over several rooms and not be face-to-face with someone across the table during any eating or drinking uh, to, to really be as cautious as possible.
0: Uh, let's go ahead and, and head to the phones. Uh, we've got Kim in northwest Indiana. Kim, your question for Dr. Taramina.
2: So I was just curious. I have an autoimmune disorder, um, as does someone in the family that I work for. Um, I'm wondering if people with autoimmune disorders um, such as mast cell disease or Hashimoto's disorder, um, if it's safe for them to get this vaccine.
1: That's a great question. We're going to have to uh, rely on the uh, guidelines that come out from the ACIP, but the intention is, yes, that, that we would want to vaccinate our most vulnerable individuals that are immunocompromised at the top of the list. Occasionally, we come out with emergency use authorization recommendations that basically say look, we are not sure, but it appears that the benefits of potential vaccine outweigh the risks uh, potentially possible with these vaccines. And we have to look at the numbers of individuals in the study groups that are in different categories, including immunocompromised categories, in order to render these recommendations. But the hope and the anticipation will be that, yes, aside from frontline workers and our nursing home patients at the top of the list are going to be our immunocompromised individuals thereafter.
0: Oh, interesting. Thanks for that call. Uh, next, we'll go to Ruthie in West Rogers Park. Ruthie, you're on the line. Thank you, Dr. Termina. I was wondering if somebody actively has COVID,
2: can they still get the vaccine or is it more effective if they are free of COVID at, the, at that time?
1: That's something that we also are waiting to hear on, but I believe the anticipation is going to be that you need to be recovered from COVID and potentially, uh, so it should be 10 to 14 days after your COVID diagnosis before you are vaccinated. We do have certain viruses that if you vaccinate, acutely during the infection, uh, where we get some benefit from, you know, achieving immunity faster uh, if someone has received a vaccine right when they've been acutely infected. Time will tell if we receive an indication to use our COVID vaccine in that capacity. But at this time, that's not likely to be part of the initial indications. Good question.
0: Dr. Termina, I mean, with the speed in which this vaccine has come online, I mean, these are the the questions that still remain that maybe, you know, if we had a longer process that uh, we have time on our side to have more of these answers, right?
1: Absolutely. And that's where we have the difference between FDA approval and emergency use authorization. So the concept of an emergency use authorization is really when there's no alternative. We don't have anything else that we can do better for coronavirus in terms of the therapeutics that we have. And we have enough data 60 plus days in with tens of thousands of individuals to establish you know, first line, the safety, and then a reasonable efficacy to come to the conclusion that the benefit outweighs the risks of delaying this further. And that's what emergency use authorization seeks to establish. So I think that more time is only going to lead us in the positive direction with more positive and more robust data. But at this point, we, similar to what has happened uh, in the UK, we have enough information to at least apply for that emergency use because we don't have an alternative. Alternative, and the benefit outweighs the risks of further withholding this.
0: Do you think there's enough information at this point to say that um, there, there isn't much risk or, or minimal risk of, of long term effects?
1: Again, it's going to be hard to tell, but what we can see is that we're not having any uh, tremendous uh, severe adverse reactions to the vaccine. And obviously, getting a vaccine uh, to achieve emergency use authorization so quickly, we are going to be focused on those initial severe adverse events and that 's something that we needed to you know exclude and rule out and make sure that that's not a part of this because we cannot have a dangerous vaccine come to market um, we don't know uh, about long term vaccine effects um, without long term data and that's something that does give individuals pause but what we do know is that the safety of these vaccines and the newer technologies are only improving upon traditional vaccine science to the point of of having more robust uh, safety um, intentions. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, uh, we just heard from Ruthie in West Rogers Park. We're going to turn now to Ruth in Rogers Park. Uh, Ruth, you're on reset. Hi, thank you so much for taking my call. I have a
2: question about the safety of visiting with newborns. In my case, I have a grandson who will be leaving the NICU next week. Is it safe to visit him or should I wait till vaccines are available or how do you proceed?
0: Dr. Taramina.
1: These are tough questions, and I get the newborn questions all the time. I think that uh, the, the safest way uh, in order to see your grandson as soon as possible would unfortunately be to get a test and to quarantine for 14 days uh, and to make sure that you do not develop any symptoms at all and you do not go anywhere. That way, you would be more reassured that you have cleared a quarantine period and you have been tested and are negative and can effectively, um, you know, get out and visit your grandson uh, on the second tier we do have you know if we if we can get a test now and then still stay home for at least five to seven more days after achieving that negative test that could uh, be at least a little bit more reassurance as well mask wearing of course I don't have any issues obviously with virtual visits and um, if there was going to be just a casual meet and greet um, to stay socially distanced without a test uh, with a mask on and more than six feet away from the grandchild getting a couple little ooze and Oz <laughs> in would be okay as well.
0: It's always it's always tough staying away from the children and the grandchildren. For uh, sure, we've got Grace in the South Loop. Uh, Grace, you are on reset. Hi,
2: um, I'm wondering uh, what accommodations um, have been made or or being considered for elderly people. In my case, there are two of us um, who are octogenarians uh, with underlying conditions uh, and in my case also disabilities, multiple (laughs) disabilities, for uh, receiving the vaccine because we live not in care homes but in our own homes, uh, condo.
1: Oh, that's that's a of fact. Yeah, that's an interesting question, Dr. Terramina. Yeah, Grace. You know, you're the exact patient that we want to get this vaccine to as soon as we can. We don't. It, it all depends on supply and demand. So the hope would be that with not one but two vaccines coming to emergency use authorization by the end of the year, and the AstraZeneca vaccine soon to follow, hopefully in early 2021. I'm hoping by February, March, right when we're coming out of this surge here, if we can just all hunker down a few more months. I'm hoping by February, or March, it's going to be a more robust supply that we're going to be able to get down into the community and at the top of the list are going to be those over age 65 with uh, immunocompromising conditions or chronic health issues uh, certain chronic health issues and then beyond that group of individuals we will get to the healthy adults uh, hopefully into late spring and and early summer so we want to make sure that as soon as we have supply available for folks like yourself that we get you those vaccines.
0: Uh, Let's head on over to Rogers Park. Dave has a
3: question. Dave. I have a question around the travel ban and test um, combination. So I chose not to go to a wedding um, out of state because of the travel ban, and I started looking at the requirements. And I thought if I went to the wedding, I didn't, but if I did, um, and I traveled on a plane, I could have been exposed at that point. And if the wedding's only on the weekend and I travel on a plane to come back, Uh, there's two exposure possibilities. So if I'm following the travel ban, I'm supposed to get a negative test result before returning back into the state. If I got that negative test result before coming back, I still would not have had time to have had enough um, virus buildup for that actual test to be accurate. So I'm curious why there is that requirement for that negative test before returning back into the state.
1: It, it is it is definitely challenging. Um, and there's some room for um, shorter periods of time like uh, business travelers that are only traveling someplace for less than 24 hours. Weekends are tough. I mean, aside from having a, a weekend of travel, you know, the recommendation is to get a, a negative vaccine documented three days prior to travel. But you're right. By the time you've traveled, you'd be getting another test immediately upon getting there to get a negative test before coming home. And it doesn't make a lot of intuitive sense. The, you know, there's definitely room to improve of these guidelines. By my view, I think that the uh, concept of getting tested um, 72 hours before travel and then if it's the return flight, um, you know, adhering to all the guidelines and seeking, um, uh, seeking you know, tra- testing around days five to seven after that return flight. But, um, you know, I don't, I'm not aware of any absolute bans um, aside from international travel, of course, um, that you need to have a documented negative um, testing. But yeah, certainly that would present a problem.
0: All right. Well, let's go from the city to the Western Burbs. Let's go to Jane in Naperville. Jane, you have a question for the doctor.
1: Hi. Thank you for taking
2: my call. I am a retired school teacher and I've been watching. With interest in applauding the thoughtful decisions made by school administrators, whatever their choices uh, to set up their schools. It seems that lately we're hearing that uh, widespread, uh, wide viral spread by students and staff has been lower than expected and feared. And I was wondering if Dr. Taramina has observed that in schools, Students, staff, follow the protocols with masking and a lot of hand washing. I would, I as a non-medical or scientific person, would assume that that is why it has worked well in those schools that have tried in person, even as a hybrid approach. And I just wondered what Dr. Taramina's take is on that, because out in the community, non-compliance frequently occurs because it's not a rule and people do not have to follow those rules as they do when they're in a school.
0: Yeah, thanks for that, Jane. Yeah, the, the, the spread has been uh, relatively low within schools. Uh, Dr. Terramina uh, w- what do you say?
1: So, Jane, I have been um, on the side of wanting our kids back in school uh, from the get-go, and I think that there's definitely room to really Focus on getting them back after this holiday break. Here for those that are in full virtual models right now, and as you know, um, the Chicago Public Schools is planning on exactly that. We have the support of uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Uh, we have the support of Dr. Robert Redfield from the CDC, and we have the support of many prominent um, physicians in in the Chicagoland area who also are in agreement. You're absolutely correct. We've created some of the safest places in the schools by using the mitigation strategies, and we are not seeing less spread of this virus. There are no absolutes. There are certainly going to be protocols for potential outbreaks and and protocols for potential concerns, but Almost all of these children and staff members who test positive are doing so because of known exposures outside of the school. And when and if a sick child comes to school, which will happen if we open the doors, the chances of that child who's properly masked, even when showing symptoms, passing that to another masked child or masked adult are very slim. So we're just not seeing that side to side spread. This coupled with the CDC's announcement that we can decrease quarantine in some cases cases to 7 to 10 days instead of a full 14 days is going to be revolutionary in my view in getting these schools back on track because part of the issue is having that one child come in with symptoms, mm-hmm. knocking out an entire classroom and or staff members for 14 plus days is leading to too many people out to have the critical infrastructure to run our schools properly. So the fact that we can now revisit our protocols, not declare outbreaks Mm -hmm. within classrooms until there's more than two to five uh, students who are positive and get these teachers back more quickly after higher risk exposures is going to be outstanding.
0: That's Dr. Mia Taramina. She's an infectious disease specialist with the DuPage Medical Group, and she's answering your questions about how to stay safe with COVID-19 during this pandemic. Thanks so much, Dr. Taramina. Thanks, Susie thanks for listening to reset if you like what you're hearing please take a minute to subscribe to our daily podcast below a new episode drops every afternoon fridays it's our weekly news roundup sundays a covid q a with dr mia Terramina. we also bring you interviews on arts culture politics and the latest news i'm suzy on thanks for listening and we'll see you back here soon